even more in amazement that you did not choose to leave us in that condition, that you chose, even before you created the world, to save some people for yourself, to not leave us in our, in our dead spiritual condition, but to give us spiritual life. And we, we thank you and we praise you and we honor your name. And now, Father, as we, um, as we come together today to hear, what, um, to hear what you have to say, I pray that you would speak through Chuck. I pray that you would, um, that you would use his words to speak to us, and that especially that your spirit would be at work in each of our hearts and each of our minds, that you would use Chuck's words to speak to us in a way that we really need to hear, whatever that might be. I pray that you would be lifted up and glorified and honored through what happens today, and that, that we would live in light of who you are and what you've done for us. We thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Good to see you. I'd like to start out this morning by saying that real men wear pink casts. We're uh, two weeks away from uh, Easter, so it is almost here. Uh, We will be continuing in this series, The Story, and we've scheduled that out in such a way that on Easter Sunday, we'll be talking about uh, the church, Christ's body, and how God's people together in his name is the way in which the work of Jesus Christ continues So I hope that you'll consider inviting somebody and bringing them with you that day. We also have a Good Friday gathering that weekend where there's a light meal and then a a reflective time of worship. It's often one of people's favorites uh, gatherings of the year. So hope you'll make plans to attend. There's a new little book out called uh, Mission Accomplished by a guy named Scott James. It is designed to be a devotional that the week prior to Easter and then the week after Easter Um, a mother or father could walk their children through. And uh, I think it's going to really be helpful and in the coming years something a lot of people will use. I'd love to give one away to a family who would use it. Come on up. You weren't excited about that at all. Great. Enjoy Fry Burgers. How did you get that name, by the way? Yeah. All right, so Genesis 12 is where we are today, if you would turn with me there. We've been on a journey together. We've covered Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and today we're going to jump to a major moment in uh, the story of the Scriptures. As you're turning there, um, just by way of introduction, our world is a world full of promises. Everywhere we look, in fact, promises are being given to us that we either accept as truth or we deny. Let me give you some examples. Let's start with a really obvious one, beer commercials. What does a Bush or Coors commercial promise you? Well, it promises if you simply drink what's in the can or just hold the can, 
then you'll no longer be broke, ugly, middle-aged, and socially awkward. You will have all the cute and scantily dressed people you could ever want. That's what the commercial is selling, correct? If I have all of that, then I'll be happy. That's the promise being given. Other promises are more subtle. For example, if you go to ASU and you get this degree, then you'll be on a fast track to getting a really good job. And when you're in that good job, then people will think well of you. They'll think you're smarter than the average person. You'll get promoted. You'll make a lot of money. And life will be puppy dogs and rainbows. So in other words, if people think I'm great, and if I have a good job, then my life will be meaningful. That is the promise of higher education. One more example. This one is even more subtle. Let's talk to the conflict resolvers in the room. Are there a few of you? The peacemakers? You're tentative to raise your hands. You're smart. Do you find that your feelings about yourself are directly tied to the degree of harmony in your immediate and extended family? Now, not your feelings about the family, but your feelings about yourself. Do you believe that if your dad just got along better with your brother, or if your sister would quit fighting with your mother, or if your parents weren't so snippy with each other, if there was just peace and smiles and love, if everybody was good with each other, then you could be good with yourself. Does your emotional stability depend on the resolution of conflict? If someone in your family is fighting with somebody else, is your soul not at rest until you've resolved it? If so, then you might be somebody that believes the promise that familial peace will mean internal peace for you. So in other words, if they are okay, then you can be okay with yourself. Well, the world's full of promises. What promise have you come here today having put your hope in? What exactly does the guy desiring the beer or the gal desiring the college degree or the teenager desiring harmony between her parents really want? It's not simply those things. It's what the feeling of those things may produce, what we believe the promise of having that would give us. So we're in the middle of a series of talks called The Story. And thus far, we've said from Genesis 1 and 2 that God made the world and everything he made was originally very good. And we were placed in his creation to rule over the earth by imaging God. And for a while, things went really well. There was a good creation with innocent people enjoying peace and harmony with God and with each other. But eventually there was what theologians call a fall. Not that season we never experience here, but rather a fall from a place of innocence to a place of brokenness. That's what Genesis 3 is about. We talked about it last week. Adam and Eve chose to disbelieve and disobey God. They chose to reject God in favor of determining good and evil for themselves. They chose to attempt to be God-like instead of relying on God. And at that moment, God's good creation fell apart. Things began to be broken. Relationship with God was lost. Innocence and purity disappeared. Harmony seemed to evaporate. When creation rejects the creator, 
things are going to go badly every single time. But as we said last week, you really don't need me to tell you that. You already know it. You've experienced it. We've all come face to face with evil. We've all experienced suffering. We've seen it on the news. We hear it in each other's stories. And most importantly, we look at it in the mirror. Sin isn't a problem out there so much as it's a problem in here. The world is a broken, fallen place because we are broken, fallen people. Here's where promises come in. So our third week, we're going to be looking at what promises do we put our hope in that would make things better. And to make sure this is applicable, let me use a personal example. I've talked about this several times, but when I was growing up, I was the kid that was constantly behind and felt stupid. My greatest fear, oddly enough, was being in front of people. I couldn't spell out loud. I didn't never wanted to get called to do a math problem on the board. And uh, frankly, I couldn't do it correctly. I was the awkward child that was mocked incessantly and always the last kid to get picked for dodgeball. Is that funny? (laughs) So the way that worked out in my own life was instead of working harder at academics to try and fit in that way, I was convinced that wouldn't work. So instead, I worked really hard at being the class clown. I was quick on my feet and able to make fun of anyone for anything at any moment. Over time, that produced a lot of problems. But for a while, it appeared that things were okay because people were laughing with me. You see, I believed a particular promise. I believed if people think well of me, then I'll feel well about myself. I believed friends would equal acceptance and acceptance would equal internal peace. What promise have you believed? What promise are you here today putting your hope in. The promise I put my hope in turned out to be an empty one. It didn't work. In fact, it just made life much, much more difficult. But friends, God has a better promise. God has a promise, the scriptures tell us, that's true. And that's the true story we can put our hope in. The only promise that will never, ever fail us. God's creation rebelled against him and God responded by making a promise. That promise is what we'll look at today. Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. I'd like us to consider today from this passage three aspects of what's being said. One is is the man. So I want to talk a little bit about Abram. Second is the command. What did God tell Abram to do? And then third, what promise did God make? What's the promise? It might be helpful to cover these in reverse order. I think 
That might make it most clear. Maybe that's why I struggled in school. The first thing we'll look at is the promise. God told Abram that he would do some remarkable things in his life. There's actually a whole list of them there. He said, I'll make you into a great nation. He said, I'll bless you and make you famous. You'll be a blessing to others. I'll bless those who bless you. It's going to go badly for those who hate you. And then the icing on the cake, the the very essence of all of those promises is this. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. You can take a thread that starts in Genesis 3 in the fall that becomes even more clear in Genesis 12 and pull it literally through the entire rest of the Bible all the way to today and all the way into the future in how the story will end. This promise, oddly enough, is a key to the entire Bible. And not only is it a key to the entire Bible, it is the key that you need. It is the promise that you can put your hope in that will change your life forever. It's the promise we're actually looking for. God promised Abram that all the families of the earth would be blessed through him. Now that, even for God, that's a pretty audacious claim, isn't it? I'm going to take one man and through that one man and his family, every people group on the planet will be blessed. That's what he's saying. The word families there doesn't mean husband, wife, 2.5 kids and a white picket fence around your yard in the suburbs. That's not what he meant when he said families. It's a really broad word. It refers to what we today would call people groups, nations, clans, people groups, all of the groups of people on earth that are categorized together by a common set of traits. All the people groups of the world will be blessed through you. So God pledged to Abram, Abram, I'm going to create a whole new ethnic people group through you. You have no son, but you will. And through those descendants, I will give spiritual blessings to every people group on the planet. Broken people will be made whole again through you, Abram. The rest of Genesis records that God did indeed give Abram and his wife a son. And eventually over time, the Jews grew into a great nation. And through that nation came the Savior of the world. Now incidentally, one of the greatest evidences that this promise is true, that this isn't just a make-believe story, it's not just a myth, is, have you ever heard of a group of people called the Jews? This was the start. Prior to Abraham, there were none, and now there's millions. Despite all the attempts historically to eradicate the Jews, they've outlived the Amorites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and all the other, gee, that's a lot of ites. They're still around. They're still here. God promised Abram that he would make a great nation, and he has. He promised that through that nation would come a savior, and that's what has happened. The strategy God chose, I think, is absolutely nuts. It's one of the reasons I believe it's true. If you were going to devise a plan and put it in action, and that plan was to redeem broken people from every people group on the planet, Would you start with a dude living in a pagan land who knew nothing about you and had no son? Would you take the time to develop a new ethnic group 
and through that group, a Savior, and through that Savior, reach the whole world? That's crazy. It's got to be true. Only God would come up with something like that. So the promise was given to this man, Abram. Through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now let's consider the command. Look again at verse 1 with me, if you would. Genesis 12, 1. The Lord said to Abram, what's the first word? Leave. I find that very funny. Up until this moment, Abram had probably never heard a single word from God. And the first thing that God tells him is leave. Leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land. I will show you. That was about 4,000 years ago. God said to this man, Abram, leave everything familiar to you. Leave your country, leave your extended family, leave your job, leave city life, leave people who speak your language, leave your sense of autonomy, leave comforts of home, leave Netflix, leave friends, leave, leave, go that way. And when you get there, I'll tell you, you've made it. And by the way, Abram, because you do that, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. There's a great example there for us. Friends, God is not interested only in your Sunday morning. He's interested in your whole life. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. He is king and his desire is to rule over your life as a wonderful, benevolent, gentle, all-powerful king. We often think if we will just leave Sunday morning free, God will be happy and then he'll Give me a great life. But friends, God's promise isn't an easy life. It's, it's a life with Him. And His command isn't, give me Sunday morning. It's give me everything. It's leave anything I tell you to leave. Stay in any place I tell you to stay. Now in Abraham's case, God said, leave your life as you know it and go somewhere new. If you're a married man, can you imagine having that conversation with your wife? Honey, we're going to go on a bit of a journey. Great, Abram, how many outfits should I bring? Well, all of them. All of them. Where are we going? I have no idea. Why are we going there? God told us to. Who is God? I have no idea. (laughs) What are we going to do? I have no idea. How are we going to make a living? I have no idea. Abram, do you think I'm going with you? I have no idea. (laughs) Had to have been amusing. But the command was clear. Abram, leave and take your family with you. Interestingly, the Bible tells us absolutely nothing about what Abram was doing when this command came to him. Nothing. He could have been at work or eating dinner with his wife or washing his camel. There's no way to know. Simply doesn't tell us. But we do know what he said. He said, leave. Which brings us to the man, Abram. Outside of Jesus himself, an argument could be made that Abram Abram or Abraham is the most important person in the biblical story. His name comes up over 300 times. He's in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Over half of the New Testament books talk about him. And Hebrews 11, which for some of us is our favorite chapter in the Bible, the great 
hall of faith that just chronicles people from the Old Testament that God used in remarkable ways. A lot of those heroes get one verse. Moses, who wrote Genesis, we're reading today, got six verses. Abraham got twice that. He is the preeminent example of faith. What is faith? Faith today is often thought of as turn off your brain and just jump into the dark. And if God's there, he'll catch you. And that's it. In the world of the scriptures, that's not faith. Faith is is belief in something and it's trust in something. Someone, actually. It's knowing something of God and trusting that God is who he says he is. That requires not turning off the brain, but turning the brain on. It requires understanding and growth. It requires trust. And Abraham was, is the preeminent example of living by faith. That's what Hebrews 11 says. There's three major monotheistic religions in the world today. Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. Christians, Muslims, and Jews all trace their history back to this one moment in the scriptures. Genesis 12. They all claim Abram as their father. Now listen to the way Hebrews 11 talks about him. It'll be on the screens. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out a place, to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah, it's his wife, received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she was considered, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, was born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. That was written thousands of years after the promise came to Abram. And thousands of years later, we're looking back at that moment. It's a crucial person in the history of humanity. Now, if you take Hebrews 11 at its word, and all you know is Genesis 12, not Genesis 13 to 25, it sounds like Abram is the quintessential good old boy. He's the one who follows all the rules. He spent his life serving God and people. So God searched him out. God went looking for him and said, you are the best choice of humanity. You are the most ethical and moral man there is. You clearly love me and you're serving me. You came from a great Christian family. You're living a moral life. So I'll bless you. Because you've been so good to me, Abram, I will be great to you. The story might seem that way, from Genesis 12 to Hebrews 11. But let's look back just at one verse in Genesis 11. Genesis 11, verse 27. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor. If you're pregnant and you have a son, don't name him Nahor. And Haran. 
and Haran fathered Lot. Now, if you've ever read the rest of the story, maybe some light bulbs are going off at this moment. Lot turned out to not be such a great guy. And Abram's father turns out not to be such a great guy. Abraham's daddy was a guy named Terah. Terah was named after the moon god worshipped in the town of Ur. So his dad was an idolater. Hebrews, I mean, Joshua 24 tells us that. He was a godless man. He did not love God. He did not worship God. He did not raise his child to love God. Abraham, or Abram, before he was renamed, Abram, his son, means, that name means, the father is exalted. But father doesn't mean God the father. It doesn't even mean Terah, my dad, is exalted. It means the moon god of Ur is exalted. So Abram was not a good guy. He was not a godly man. In fact, we have no reason to think that he knew anything about the God of the Bible. He was worshiping the wrong God, doing his own thing, counting on the wrong promises, and God reached down and said, Abram, you're mine. Now, I find that tremendously encouraging, wonderfully encouraging. Abram had a sinful, godless dad. He was from Babylon. His wife couldn't get pregnant. He was an absolute nobody. And yet God chose to reach down and give that man promise and to direct him with a command and to promise that he would be with him to fulfill the promises that God had designed. God said to him, Abram, you're mine. I'm going to fix the fallenness of the entire world through you. Sin doesn't win. Simply trust me and go. My dear friends, to know God and to do God's work, you don't need to have had a great dad. Many of you don't. Many of your fathers are godless men who did not raise you to follow him. You don't need to be a virgin until you're married. You don't need to be smart. You don't have to have all your beliefs perfectly ironed out. You don't have to have a dynamic personality. You don't have to be somebody who's never been abused. You don't have to be from the good part of town and gone to the right schools. You don't have to clean yourself up with ethics and morals. Friends, we're all broken. We're all fallen. Sure, our stories are not exactly the same, but what we do share is we're born broken and we further become broken. That's where your story starts. That's where Abram's story started. God didn't seek Abram out because Abram deserved it. He sought Abram out because he's a God of love. And he had a plan for humanity. Then and there, God starts his work. It's all grace. He's the one who changes us. He initiates. He's the one who finishes the work. Our job is simply to believe him. It's to put our trust in him. So the promise, the command, and the man. We've covered a lot of ground. So let's circle back to where we started. What promise have you put your hope in? Beer commercials promise a life of sexiness and fun. 
and that'll make you meaningful. College degrees promise if you have a successful career, you'll be a success because people will think well of you and you'll have money. Familial peace and harmony promise security and acceptance. But the problem is that none of those promises actually work. They they put a Band-Aid on something that needs open-heart surgery. They turn out to be promises that cannot deliver. So they're not actually promises, they're lies. All the beer and all the degrees and all the acceptance you can find will never, ever, ever fix your fallenness. They cannot bridge the gap between a holy God and sinful people. The promises we put our hope in are the people and things that we believe will fix our nagging, internal, ever-present sense that something is wrong. That part of us that we struggle to articulate, to quantify, to talk to other people about, that problem, that's not external, it's internal. That sense that something is not right with the world and not right with us, is that void that's inside of us because God is not there. It is that emptiness that's present because creatures are made to worship their creator. It's that sense of alienation from people and alienation from God that causes us to go looking everywhere for something to fill it. Whatever we see as the bridge between our fallenness and whatever will redeem that fallenness, that is the place that you're staking your promise, your life upon. Our hearts are so easily deceived. Only God can fill the heart. Only the gospel will ring true. Only God's promise to Abram, fulfilled in Jesus, will overcome our sinfulness. Through Abram's descendants came a man named Jesus. A man who lived a perfect life and died a sinner's death. A man who turned out to be God and who rose from the dead. Only that God can fix our fallenness. So what promise is worth your hope? The great news today is that there is one. There is a promise worth living for. It's the promise of the gospel. Which succinctly we could summarize like this. The gospel is God's power to save. It's God's power to rescue us out of broken fallenness, to redeem us, to be a people for him who could recover what it means to be truly human, to be creatures who honor and live for the creator. If you'll believe in him, in all of your brokenness, all of the wrath of sin you deserve, then God will exchange your sinfulness for Jesus's righteousness. By faith, you'll be adopted into God's family. You'll be right with God. You'll be reconnected with your creator. Here's one of the most amazing passages in all of scripture. Galatians 3, verse 7. Know this, that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Meaning, Abraham was right with God because God told him the truth about himself. And Abram chose to believe it. He put faith in God. So everyone since that day who has done the same thing, 
not who has left some homeland for a different place, but someone who simply trusted God, who staked their future on God's promise to be good to his word, are sons of Abraham. In other words, they're Christian. Now, here here he's going to explain that. The scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and here's the phrase, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Isn't that incredible? When Abraham heard, go, leave, I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this for you, not because you deserve it, but simply because that's how powerful I am. And Abraham, not knowing much, but knowing he could count on that, went. He trusted God. The scriptures tell us that that was God in an early way articulating the gospel to Abraham. Abraham could not have known, he did not know, that God himself would come and would live a perfect life and die a sinner's death on a cross. And yet, in an early way, he heard the gospel. It's incredible. The Bible is not a series of disconnected moralistic stories. It is one story articulating one truth, that God is a great God and he has come to save. Friends, God is reclaiming humanity for himself. He's redeeming us out of our brokenness. Creation, fall, promise is all about him. Next week, Brian Jerry is going to help us by looking at redemption. How exactly did Jesus' death and resurrection change people? How is it that somebody moves from sinner to saint? And God today, just like in Abram's day, is doing this for all people groups. He does not discriminate. He does not go after only those who come from great families, only those who have a certain amount of money, only those who have come to a building and worshipped him, only those who are of a certain ethnic class. God is about the work of redeeming some from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And this book says if you become a part of God's plan simply by putting your faith and trust in Jesus, then he becomes your God and you join in with all his people. That's the promise of the scriptures. And friends, that is the only promise that will not disappoint you. Every other promise will eventually reveal itself to be a fraud. But God's promise to you today is, come to me. I love you and I've given my life for you and you can count on me. That's the story of the scriptures and it can be your story if you'll turn to him and believe in him. So integral into this story is the truth that God gave Abram that some people... And all the people groups of the earth would be blessed through him. Did you know that that's being fulfilled? Look around you. We're a diverse place. We're a diverse people. God is redeeming some from every people group. And this morning I'd love for you to hear from one of us, a Church on Mill member, 
who is part of God's people that he's redeeming. So Roxanne, would you come? This is Roxanne. She is a recent member to Church on Mill. And she's going to, thank you, she's going to tell us a bit of her story as God has been about the work of redeeming her. Would you come? Hi, uh, my name is Roxanne Beasley, and my Chinese name is Yoli Jian. I have an American name. It's because I married an American missionary. That's why I have his name. <laughs> his name was Roxanne? <laughs> Beasley. Okay. <laughs> um, I think the best way to start my story is in God's Word. Uh, for that, for that's where all of our story really begin. So I'll read to you one of my favorite scriptures, Jeremiah 29, 11 to 14. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. I grew up in Taiwan, a place where only 2.8% of the population is any form of Christianity. I did get invited and attended some Sunday school classes, but I would grow to be an adult before Jesus hold on my heart will become obvious. I married my high school sweetheart and worked for four years to put him to medical school. After that, as all men in Taiwan are required to serve in the military, he will go away for two years commitment to the military. After the first year, he came back to see me. But by the end of his second year, he would choose not to come home to me and our son. When he did return, it was only to tell me he was ending our marriage. He left me for another woman. And in Taiwan, the man is favored in divorce for custody of children. So I lost everything. My world as I knew, it had completely crumbled from under my feet. I emotionally hurt so bad, I even contemplated suicide. But God stepped in here and gave me a better option, the Mm. best option. Mm. I was a broken woman, desperately in need of a savior. Jesus forgave me of my sin and gave me new life. His perfect love revealed my broken heart, and I was changed by the gospel. 
I will love again. Mm. I love a powerful, perfect God, and he led me to attend seminary and be the translator for a Tennessee native, serving with international students from ASU, named Bill Beasley. I believe that God put us together to support one another in glorifying him. Together, we will share the good news to more people than we could do separately, especially because my Chinese was better. (laughs) (laughs) Bill eventually asked me to be his wife and spent the next two years waiting for me to finish his seminary. After we traveled to Mississippi for his seminary education, God eventually affirmed that we were following his will. When we left Taiwan, uh, we had just enough to pay for Bill's first semester in seminary and six months' rent. That's all. And for the next three years, as money would be needed to keep going, God would provide. Our journey after seminary would lead us back to Taiwan, to Hawaii, and to San Diego. Serving in those places, we learned different styles of ministry to different people groups. Thirteen years ago, we came to Arizona, and for ten years, we both served together, introducing internationals and and Americans alike to the good news of Jesus and raising our son. God will use those 10 years to show me how big the mission field is and how many people from many nations desperately need the gospel. Three years ago, God would call Bill to come home and ask me to stay behind and keep serving. God removed my first husband from my life to show me the ultimate love and sacrifice of Jesus. And when God called my second husband home, he revealed that walking with him, I am not alone. Mm. I continue to praise his provisions. I continue to declare his glory To those who don't yet know him, I hold fast to the knowledge that God knows the plan he has for me. And that how he brought me to know him under some very dark circumstances in a place that only 2.8% know him. He too will call others from all over to his family. We will be united someday. Many people, many cultures, many different ways to say hello, mm. but one glorious God. Mm. Thank you. Wonderful <laughs> job. Appreciate you sharing. Please stay just for a second. Stay just. So if, if you wonder, does God keep his promises? Look right here. God told Abram, I'm going to redeem people from every people group on earth. And 
this wonderful lady all these years later is here because God keeps his promises. God does not promise us ease. Did you hear that in her story? But he promises his people his presence. And his presence with us can get us through anything. Thank you for sharing. It was a real blessing to us today, Roxanne. Thank you. Will you pray with me? God, I am the first in line to say that I have put my hope in promises that turn out to be lies. I counted on people liking me to make me feel good about myself. I counted on their laughter and their acceptance to fix my brokenness. All of us in the room have some story today that in some way resembles that. We have put our hope, we have staked our future, we have made our God something that we believed would fix our fallenness. And God, it doesn't work. The reality is the only promise that rings true is your promise to save. We pray today, Father, that if there's any person here who has yet to meet the God who keeps his promises, that, Father, you would speak clearly to their hearts now and that they would respond to you by turning from a life of sin and trusting in you, knowing they don't have to clean themselves up first and that questions may remain. But if we believe that you came, died, and rose again and that there is life in you, that you are indeed saving some from every people, that, God, you would redeem them even now as I pray. And, Father, for others here who perhaps are Christians, there was a point in life in which they staked all of their faith in you. But perhaps something has happened that has drawn them away from active trust in you, and they've again been looking to something else to fulfill their need for you. I pray for repentance, God, in their lives. And that as I have needed so many times, I would turn from sin and turn back to you. God, there, may there be a whole wave of repentance sweep over us today. We thank you that you are a blessed God and that you bless your people. Not necessarily with material things, but with your presence and with people that we can trust, your people, your church. May we trust in you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.